Coming up on today's show, uh, I tried to explain the end of the Bucks Heat game. Jared, you got any idea? Is it legal to close out anymore? Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Thursday, everybody. We've got, I don't know, we, we've got our decoder rings out and are going to try to explain what happened in the two games from Wednesday night. I'm Dave DeFore, joined by Jared Weiss, as I have now been twice this week. What's up, Jared? Twice is nice when it's with Weiss. Yeah, and Brian Smith is like reading hieroglyphics right now to try to figure out what rules were broken in these games. But before we get to the referees, Jared, we had a game seven. Get excited. Game seven, baby. Game seven. Game seven. It's hard to get excited with the way that ended, but it was it was the longest ending of all time. In my memory, it will end with a James Harden game-winning block on the scorching hot Lou Dort. The Houston Rockets defeat the Oklahoma City Thunder 104 to 102. On that block by James Harden, yes, weird stuff happened after that, but the only important thing is that James Harden got the game-winning block on Lou Dort, who was fantastic in this game, led all scorers, 30 points, 6 of 12 from 3. I want to start with Dort because I I think up until you get to the end of the game, like he's such an important part of it, Dort was fantastic tonight on both ends of the floor. I mean, to be able to shoot with that level of composure while you're – exhibiting such insane amount of energy that you have to cover James Harden all over the floor is unbelievable. And it wasn't like he had to cover James Harden. He shut down James Harden. James Harden was the fourth leading scorer on the Rockets in this game, which makes total sense because it was a game seven, but is still an incredible feat in a vacuum nonetheless, Dave. Yeah, uh, he kept him to four of 15 from the field, one of nine from three. And, you know, eight of nine free throws for Harden, the nine being, you know, a little bit higher than I expected. But they started calling things on Dort that they weren't calling early on in the game. Dort has done about the best job over the course of a playoff series, as we've seen, guarding James Harden, just straight up, one-on-one. And he was actually, at a certain point, he and Chris Paul were kind of arguing with their bodies over who was going to guard Harden down the stretch, and and Dort won. And, man, I, I really think... He was fantastic. And then the the fact that he was able to provide some floor stretching for them on the offensive end. I mean, again, 30 points. Led all scorers. Just a, an amazing game for him. But let's talk about the Rockets because they did win the game. And I think we got to start with Robert Covington. 21 points, 6 of 11 from 3, had 3 blocks, 10 rebounds. He was keeping them afloat when Russ and, and James Harden just weren't doing anything. And he made some, I, th- I thought, some just great defensive plays in this game. He continued to be the best center in this series over Steven Adams. I thought this game was a great vindication of Maury's balls-of-the-wall, small-ball approach to see that Covington was just so impactful in the paint. Their defense rotates so beautifully, or at least rotated so beautifully in this game. And he's stretching. He was the most effective floor stretcher on the floor for them. I mean, they've done a good job of, you know, we know that Covington, 
that if you put him in isolation situations against you know elite wing scores, he can get blown by a lot of the time. But they're using him as a center where he's just kind of playing the gaps and kind of reading where he can kind of crash into the play and blow it up. And that is playing to his absolute strengths. And Houston really maximized his value in this game. Yeah, Eric Gordon had a great game. It, you know, it was a very big game for the role players. Aside from Chris Paul, Chris Paul, 19 points, 12 assists, 11 rebound, triple-double, just seemed to be controlling the pace. And I actually thought he was controlling his own tempo to save energy for the last three minutes. And then, you know, he kind of gave up the ball a little bit too easy, I thought, when they were dribbling down for their last shot. You know, threw kind of a, I don't know, water balloon at Shea Gildas-Alexander, and then things just kind of fell apart from there. You know what my favorite fact to come out of this insane day in the NBA is? Is that Chris Paul is now the second Thunder player to have a triple-double in the playoffs, joining Russell Westbrook. That is serendipitous right there. Which, by the way, Russ, I don't understand how Houston is winning with the way Russ is playing in the fourth quarter of these games. But, you know, not to jump away from CP, who CP was really in his ultimate bag of extending the play you know Chris Paul what he does so majestically is he just keeps dancing pushing the travel rule to its limits jumping and trying to figure out what to do in the air and passing just before he hits the ground or probably just after he hits the ground and he had a lot of those kickouts in the second half where he was you know really euro stepping then leaving his feet and you know pushing traveling beyond its quantum boundaries to then eventually get the kick out to Shea Gilgis Alexander and I think some of those plays, while it's usually you're watching and you're thinking, what the hell are you doing, CP? At the end of the day, I thought it was probably one of the huge reasons why they actually were still in this game. Speaking of Shea, he had 19 points in this game, was 3 of 4 from 3. I think when he goes back and watches the film, he's going to realize that he probably left about four threes on the table. Just didn't take them. And I wonder if this is a young guy kind of feeling the pressure a little bit. You know, there are a lot of expectations for him. He's considered, you know, one of their cornerstone pieces. This is obviously the biggest game he's ever played in. What, what do you think about uh, Shea and, and his performance in this game? I mean, offensively in the second half, he looked a little shook, Alexander. Try saying that three times fast. He did hit that, obviously, the, that big three at the end, but he also almost traveled with two seconds left on the shot clock with a minute left down one point to kick it to Schroeder, had to put up that ugly prayer of a three-pointer. After Steven Adams made that baseline save and threw it towards the backcourt, Shea had the peace of mind to know to jump from inside the front court to catch it and then didn't throw it back into the front court and instead committed the backcourt violation by passing it to, I think it was Chris Paul in the backcourt. So there was a lot of the stuff where you got to the real heat of the moment and he panicked and you could see that those are the plays where Schroeder and obviously CP were under composure. And credit to Dort. A lot of the time when he got ran off the line in the corner, he kind of fought his way down the baseline, got into the paint and tried to create. I was The most shocking thing from him wasn't just the three-point shooting. It was that he was actually pretty solid overall offensively. He was attacking closeouts effectively. I mean, showed a little crossover I didn't realize was in his game. Yeah, I, I, look, Dort is a player. He's not just a defensive guy. Now, I don't think he's a shooter, but he's a player. I, I think he's going <laughs> to be a big part of their their team in the next couple of years. And he's on a fantastic contract. Let's talk Harden, offense. I mean, he told us in his post-game interview exactly the way he played. Offensively, I played like <laughs> Excuse my language, but. Offensively, I mean, he was garbage. But his defense, even before that game-winning block, was pretty good. Poking the ball away, 
causing a lot of trouble to Steven Adams, who who looks a little bit diminished. But but I thought Harden stepped up big time defensively. The shot wasn't there, but he was there on defense. Yeah, and I I did love that every single time they would come down in defensive transition where both Tucker and Harden were sinking really deep into the paint. Like they were basically both standing under the rim. Harden would take on the burden for Tucker a lot of the time of grinding underneath with Steven Adams. And the fact that they had so many guys that were able to grapple with Adams under the rim and prevent Adams from really killing them. Although on the final play of the game, Adam should have gone to the rim and gotten in a wide open alley yes. to win the series. Yes. And uh, we're going to have to debate that for a long, long time. But overall, I thought, you know, Harden did a good job of being that that weak side, single side help guy. You know, that guy that's supposed to kind of dance between the paint and making sure that that other shooter doesn't get the wide open shot. He, he did his job pretty well. So the Houston Rockets move on to face the Los Angeles Lakers. And that game will be Friday evening. Not a long turnaround for Houston. Uh, you want to give a prediction on that yet or no? Well, I just predicted the Thunder to win this game, so you know I'm going to be nailing that prediction. <laughs> um, I'll go with the Lakers mostly. Yeah, I'll pick the Lakers. Uh, in nine and a half games. I just think that when you can play that big against a team that's that small, uh, you just have that inherent advantage. In news, the league is just fining everyone. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, Jared, that you also were fined today. Is that correct? Marcus Morris received a $35,000 fine for for you know that big time strike across Luca's neck. The judo shop. Yeah, Luca got a $15,000 fine for throwing the ball at the referee. I mean, yes he did, but it wasn't like he hummed it at him. But the best fine that the NBA handed out and I want to give them as much respect as I can for finally doing this. Marcus Smart was fined $5,000 for flopping in in game two against the, the Raptors. Jared, you covered the Celtics for us. He's known for his grift. This is a subject near and dear to my heart because I get to watch all of the flops. They are not novel to me, yet every time they are spectacularly entertaining because they're so absurd. And Marcus Smart sees Pascal Siakam running down the floor and kind of flies in from the sideline almost, throws his body into Siakam's, and then throws his body the opposite direction. Siakam sees it happening. He's like, I have no idea what just happened. And then Smart, after the game, went and defended it, saying, I'm not really sure what happened. I was trying to go for the ball, and Siakam got in the way, and I just collided with him. It was so unbelievably obvious that they challenged the call and won the challenge. And I can't remember the last time I saw a flop get overturned on a challenge, but it was so spectacular. And Smart deserves to be the person who gets the first flop fine since Pat Beverly in November. And these are the two guys that tied in DPOI voting that were the highest guards in DPOI voting in like eight years since Tony Allen, I believe. And you know what? We are seeing it, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about how infuriating, even if it necessarily was not inaccurate, the refereeing was in both of these games. But it just goes to show, if you're a guard that wants to defend in this league, you're going to have to grift. You're going to have to grift. Oh, yeah. And all the point guards that ha- were still going as of today are all elite grifting point guards. And you have to do it. I mean, we wa- we watched the end of, uh, of these basketball games tonight. So, uh, yeah, we know that it works. We'll get back to the show in a bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. Jared, live sports are back. Fully, And we are about to get a playoff matchup in the NBA between the Clippers and the Nuggets. 
That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your nuggets are as safe as possible when that matchup happens and when you're using your clippers. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Jared, have you tried the Lawnmower 3.0? I have, Dave, because it is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. And because of their ceramic blade and their skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced. And Dave, you know how I feel about snags. Yeah, snags are not good. But you know what it is good? The Shears 2.0. A luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools. It has slash tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a nice medium grit file so your nails are nice and smooth. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the lawnmower, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, the performance boxer briefs, and Jared, I've told you all about these. That comes with the travel bag that you can use when you're done quarantining, right? Uh, yeah, that's, what that's I, right. That's what I thought. And, you know, it comes with the crop preserver and the crop reviver, and you need both of those. You got it with the anti-chafing ball deodorant, and you have the crop reviver, which is a spray-on toner. It's made with soothing aloe, and you know it's got witch hazel extracts. You know I need my witch hazel extracts, Dave. I know you do. Don't forget, guys, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC. Take your grooming game to the next level, folks. Witch hazel. In the early game from Wednesday, the Miami Heat somehow defeat the Milwaukee Bucks, 116-114. to 114. Jared, the end of this game, I think, is going to be talked about quite a bit during the offseason, in particular as it relates to refereeing in the league and, and presenting the television product. Yeah, like, uh, you know, maybe we need to re-understand how jump shots work now and how... You know, maybe jump shooters shouldn't be allowed to sway eight feet in the air and then expect the contest to somehow not land somewhere in that zone. I mean, I don't want to skip too far ahead here, but I am still trying to comprehend the Goran Dragic landing zone call where he never even left the feet. He's never left his feet. Right. Yeah, that one was egregious. So with about 20 seconds left, it was 113 to 107 in this one. Giannis gets a dunk and then the Bucks get a steal. And a layup from Brooke Lopez. So now it's 113-111 with eight and a half seconds left. And we're all starting to feel, you know, the, the texts are starting to come. We're all starting to feel like, oh, wow, we're going to get a, a playoff moment out of this game. And then uh, something happens. And it's so hard to describe. There were free throws. There was Jimmy Butler missing a free throw. Okay, so we're at 113-111. And just all hell breaks loose. It's the only way to describe it, Jared. So, um... Okay, the best way to epitomize this is that I'm looking at the NBA's YouTube 10-minute clip of the game, the highlight reel of the game, and the last 10 seconds takes two minutes of the YouTube video. That's how long. It was relatively a basically 20% of the entire game's uh, time just to go through it. It was mind-blowing. Jimmy Butler misses the front end of, of a two-free-throw trip, so it's 114-111, and Chris Middleton is somehow fouled by Goran Dragic on one of the worst examples of the landing space call that I can remember. And maybe I, I'm biased because of the moment that it happened in, but it seems to me like that is a rule that needs to be readdressed. And let's be very clear. I have gotten multiple texts from people in Milwaukee that are furious about the call. Sorry to them, but 
if you look at the play, Goran Dragic, he slides forward with his hands straight up and never leaves his feet. Him and Chris Middleton, they both plant their feet going into Middleton's jump shot at the exact same time. So there's no argument that he slid under Middleton's landing zone before Middleton had control. My opinion is that a jump shooter has control over where they're going to land until they leave their feet. So if your feet are still on the ground when the contest comes in, because you can change your body angle and your feet positioning while you're in the air and take a wider stance to land. We see guys kick their legs out yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's what players used to do all the time, but players have stopped doing that because now they're trying to stick their feet out to where the defender is because they're trying to injure themselves to try to get that call. So I feel like the rule's almost making it more dangerous now, actually. A little bit. Dragic never left his feet. He got into position. Dragic arguably took a charge on that more than he had a landing space call. I think you could make a better case for it. So anyway, Middleton hits the three free throws. We got a tie ball game. We all started thinking it's going to OT or Jimmy Butler is going to win the game on a shot. Well, Jimmy Butler won the game on a shot, but it was a shot he missed. (laughs) At the buzzer, we get another landing space call. And, you know, I don't know what you can do aside from not close out when guys are shooting. And it's almost gotten to the like the NFL level of ridiculous with pass interference. I think that this is this has got to be fixed. And I don't want to be a broken record on the show. But Jimmy Butler hits two free throws and the Miami Heat win the game. And we all lost. I agree. Because the call wasn't that Giannis took his legs into the landing space. It was that Giannis's hand very gently was placed on Jimmy Butler's back while Jimmy was in the air. And we know that he didn't affect Jimmy's landing zone because Jimmy never even looked down to where he was landing and never put his feet down to try to stick the landing. He only put one foot down and just tried to just fall. It was clear that Jimmy Butler was not trying to land that shot. And by the way, the ball was like 15 feet out of his hands when Giannis put his hand on him. When the contact occurred, yeah. Just like how James Harden was called for that ridiculous foul in the other game right at the very last second where he had his hand around Chris Paul's waist, which is a foul under the freedom of movement rules. But Chris Paul never went anywhere, so it didn't actually impede his actual progress. His hand was just in the spot. You shouldn't make that automatic hand placement call on the final second of the game. And same thing with Giannis. That technically... If you touch a shooter with your hand, technically it's a foul, but his hand had no impact on the play whatsoever and did not endanger Jimmy Butler whatsoever. So I don't see any reason why that foul should have been called. You need to have the authority to choose your moments, basically. (laughs) If you're not allowed to say, okay, that is certainly by letter of the law, but not by spirit of the game. I think that you're doing a disservice to the game itself. But anyway, there was an actual basketball game that was not played by referees. Oh, was there? And in this game, it was interesting because it was very physical at times, but there were a lot of foul calls. I mean, Chris Middleton, again, like up there in fouls, five fouls. Giannis with four, three early ones, which we were about to talk about. Brooke Lopez wound up with four. It just very physical. Bam Adebayo fouled out of this game. It almost, to me, seems as if, The Heat strategy is to get Giannis and Middleton fouled out of the game early. And Bud is playing right into it by fouling them out himself. (laughs) Maybe Bud could just make an adjustment. That would be nice. Just a departure from the base strategy. And, you know, maybe down to nothing that we'll see that. But 
the big thing I'm seeing here is Miami is triple fronting Giannis, and nobody else on the Bucks is able to create on or off the ball, really, to try to take advantage of that. And the offense has not changed. They've not tried to invert it at all. And when they do, they're able to load up so much on Giannis, there are no options. Because at this point, Giannis should be the role man in the pick and roll, right? Get him into the paint without the ball in his hands so they can't do what they're doing against them. It just seems like the obvious play here. You have Eric Bledsoe. He's back, but I mean, he, he went six for 14 in this game, so clearly you show that he's he can play. Middleton should be able to execute the action. You have the personnel to be able to pull this off and be able to improvise, but we talked about this before the series that the one concern with Milwaukee is that they have a very, very like clear, rigid system that on a nightly basis in the regular season, it's almost impossible for teams to be able to overcome it, but if you have a chance to game plan them and you're not you weren't playing another team last night and you have to suddenly adjust to the Bucks. If you have a chance to really load up and prepare, they're a solvable problem. And Miami is proving it. Yeah, Miami pretty much has them solved. Chris Middleton had an okay game, 23 points. Giannis with 23 and 14. Brooke Lopez, you know, 16 points, seven rebounds, but was very good in this game and, and honestly could have used more inside touches. But you know, Miami, this is that death by a thousand paper cuts thing that they can do. They just have guys that have great nights sometimes. And Tyler Hero, 17 points off the bench. Kelly Olinick, 11 points in 16 minutes off the bench. That stuff just shouldn't happen against what was, you know, the best defense in the league this year. Yeah, And Dragic is still shooting lights out as well. Lights out. Yeah, yeah. and he's just been incredible. He's like Slovenia Dragic right now. For everything that we were saying about Giannis, I mean, he did have... 29 points, 10 for 18 shooting, got to the line 13 times. So it's not like I mean, it's not like he's horrendous or anything like that. It's just that the standard that he was playing at before was, you know, 38, 18 and 9. Like he was playing he was absolutely destroying everybody and that's what made them title contenders and right now he's he's kind of at a more muted level of what we expect out of the best I mean, I don't know the best player in the league, but like the guy's about to win back-to-back MVPs, so I guess we can say that pretty reasonably. He's not playing at that level right now at all. Tomorrow night's playoff games, Toronto and Boston game three. Jared, that one feels like it's going one way. <laughs> Marcus Smart's way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, we got Denver Clippers game one. That's going to be huge. I just previewed that on my podcast, the Rainbow Skyline podcast that I do with Kendra Andrews our beat reporter that covers the Denver Nuggets. So go check that out. I think the Clippers are a lot more talented than the Nuggets. Jared, what do you think? I think whatever Kendra said is correct. That's right. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about all the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We've got all your favorite shows over at the Athletic NBA Show, where you can catch me on Nerder, Basketball Buds. you got Sam Amick with Tampering. you got Waz and David Aldridge with Hoops Adjacent. And then you've got Point of Contention with Ethan Sherwood-Strauss and Marcus Thompson. Don't forget, we also have No Dunks. And you can go check out the Rainbow Skyline podcast and hear what I have to say about the Clippers and and Denver Nuggets. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck. You can get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing across all major sports for a super low price. Get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily ding. You never know when these promos end, so get there soon. Thank you guys for waking up with us. Jared? Close out.